Let's pray for a minute. Father God, we thank you on this wonderful day for the deep, deep, rich, costly love of Jesus. It's what connects us. It's what fuels us. It's what drives us. It's what draws us closer to you. For in Jesus we discover your heart, your character, your wisdom, how much you are committed to reconciling with your people. Thank you for providing for us so richly that we could know Jesus because he's alive, because the grave could not hold him and the cross couldn't conquer him. Thank you that through your spirit, Jesus reaches out to all of us and draws us closer and closer to who you are. I pray that you will cause that love within us to grow as we understand more of your scriptures and what you have done and why it matters. I pray that you will cause that love of Jesus to grow in us more and more as we press in to know you and to experience you more frequently, more powerfully. And we ask that as we experience your love that you'll continue to send us out and that you will equip us and you will embolden us to live the kind of life that you want us to live so that other people too will be drawn to your heart and to your grace. We pray for those who are suffering around us. We know that there are family members that we've lost during this last year, some due to COVID. We know that there are members of our congregation who have, uh, some have had a mild experience, some who had suffered greatly over this time. We know that there are several who are working in hospitals or in nursing homes and who are at risk and continue to pour out their love in this way of service day after day. We pray that you will enrich them and encourage them and strengthen them. We pray that you will also fill our hearts with hope. There are many people who react strongly to the uh, different degrees of isolation that have been foisted upon us during this time. We embrace all of these measures for the sake of others, for the sake of not wanting to pass on a disease that we might not even realize, or a virus that we might not realize we even have. We pray for a solution uh, that would effectively roll out to everybody and that uh, even as the vaccines now are available, that you'd increase the the capacity of our local governments all around this country and all around the world to get help to people in a timely fashion. We pray that you'd bring an end to this time, but that you would also teach us about how you encourage and how you instill hope in us in the midst of this time. And we pray that through that hope that you will also shine a light in us that others can see. Thank you for your word and for what we are learning together, and I pray that you will use this time as we look into your word as contained in the Bible 
to build up our faith, our resilience, and our ability to live for you every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For the past few weeks, we have been focusing on this theme of being resilient. And I've been asking this question, what factors into the development of a resilient Christian? I want you to hold on to that thought for a few minutes. In November of 2016, a movie about an unlikely World War II hero debuted. Hacksaw Ridge was the title of a movie based on a true story of Private Desmond Doss and his heroics in the Battle of Okinawa, which was the bloodiest of all of the battles in the Pacific Theater in World War II. What made this story unique is that Desmond Doss was a devoted Christian, a a Seventh-day Adventist, who declared himself as a conscientious objector who nevertheless volunteered to serve in the U.S. Army's 77th Infantry Division, even though he would refuse to hold a weapon. Doss uh, Doss refused to fire a weapon for two reasons. The first was his belief that the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder, meant that God forbade him from killing anyone for any reason at any time. A second reason was revealed years later that his father and his uncle had found themselves in a brutal brawl with each other and one of them ended up holding a gun on the other. The result for young Doss was that he refused to fire a gun for the rest of his life. Yet in the days after Pearl Harbor, he volunteered for duty like hundreds of thousands of other American men and women did. Doss ended up serving as a medic in the Pacific Theater, but only after enduring a tremendous amount of abuse from men who considered him a coward for not carrying a weapon and after a difficult legal challenge from the Army. Hacksaw Ridge focused on Doss's actions particularly during a brutal battle against dug-in Japanese forces on a desolate hill on the island of Okinawa. The only way for the 77th Infantry to reach the top of that hill involved scaling a 400-foot cliff. Once they arrived at the top, the Japanese soldiers sprung from holes and tunnels that they'd been digging for weeks and blasted away at the Americans. The instant carnage was so great that the Americans were ordered to retreat and climb back down that cliff only one-third of the 77th Division made it down that cliff. The other two-thirds were either killed or wounded. Without a weapon with a a red cross painted on his helmet, Private Doss disobeyed the order to retreat and ran back into the firefight to rescue wounded soldiers. After locating another wounded soldier, yet alive, Doss would then carry or drag that man to the cliff and then lower him down with a rope and a double bowline knot 400 feet down. And then he would pray, Lord, help me save one more. And he would head back into the battle zone. Throughout the night, without other soldiers realizing exactly what was happening, Doss kept working alone and kept praying through the night. He believed that God had put him there for this purpose and his primary desire was to honor the Lord by not giving up until he had given all that he had. By himself, Private Doss ended up rescuing and then lowering down that 400-foot cliff dozens of men, one at a time, before being wounded himself. He was later awarded the Medal of Honor for his actions. While being interviewed for consideration for that award, Doss estimated that he had saved 50 men. 
his commanders put the number closer to 100. So the Department of Defense settled on a number of at least 75 men that he had saved, acting all by himself. Now here's why I brought up that particular story of Desmond Doss. What fueled Desmond Doss that night was a burning passion to honor God that was rooted in his love, that he had, in the love that he had received from Jesus Christ. And that passion and love of Jesus is what we're going to focus on this morning as we continue this series that we're calling Resilient, Building a Faith that Lasts Through Chaos and Change. So let me say good morning to all of you, friends who are here in the room and those who are watching in all kinds of homes and places around the South Shore and, and other uh, parts of our country. Thank you for being a part of this new reality for North River Church where we are asking God to make us resilient Christians in the midst of this time. If you find this helpful for your faith development, please tell a friend. Invite a friend to watch or to come with you and then get a cup of coffee or go for a walk together and talk about what we are learning as we focus on this concept of becoming resilient Christians. I have a question for you. And the question is this, how do we find or develop that passion that is both for and from Jesus? That inner passion that leads to resilience. I'm going to talk about this passion for and from Jesus this morning that Paul writes about in Ephesians 3 and that Charlie read for you just a few moments ago. Four observations about this passion. The first is this passion drove Paul to his knees. Verse 14 says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. So Paul is writing out a prayer that he's praying first for the church in Ephesus but then for all Christians everywhere. Verse, verse 14 begins this prayer of Paul as he's praying for Christians at large. He was praying, what he was praying about moved him so deeply that he notes that it drove him to his knees. Now think about that. On one, on one hand, this is a, a posture of prayer that is indicated. Uh, when one goes to his or her knees, it indicates a position of humility or reverence toward God. Yet on a closer look, going to your knees often indicates a kind of intensity. What he was about to pray for literally drove him to his knees because he longed for what he was praying about so strongly. What drives you to your knees when you pray for other people? Seriously, sometimes I pray for you or for other people and I have my list that I will work my way through. But what prayers literally drive me or drive you to our knees because something that we desire for others hits us so deeply? This is where Paul was at when he wrote this paragraph of this particular letter. As he was thinking about the love of Jesus that caused a passion within him, it drove him to his knees. There are certain things that break my heart for my children or for my family or for our church. And there are times when, when I will literally have to get down on my knees because the emotion is so strong. That's the picture I want you to hold on to. That's the posture of Paul as he writes this prayer. So first, his passion drove him to his knees. The second observation is that living with this passion will fill you with power. Verses 16 and 17, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul here includes two, position, uh, two petitions that are tied together. The first is for inner strength 
through the power of God's Spirit. The second is for the indwelling of Christ in our hearts through faith. Now, I want you to notice a few things that come from these joined petitions. You may ask, hey, Pastor Paul, doesn't Christ indwell us from the moment that we first trust him? Yes, but these matters, this strength that comes from the Holy Spirit and this indwelling of Christ come to us in degrees. They always belong to us, but we experience them in greater and greater degrees. In other words, we can grow in our experience of inner strength from the Holy Spirit, and we can grow in our experience of the indwelling of Christ in our lives. That belongs to every Christian, but we don't all experience it continually. In effect, Paul was praying for greater experiences of Holy Spirit power and greater experiences of the indwelling of Christ for you and me. This is part of what drove him to his knees. He was longing that you and I would know Jesus in such a powerful way in the midst of this world, in the midst of the time that we're living in right now, that there would be moments where the indwelling of Christ was so powerful that it was sweeping over you, filling you, and empowering you with a kind of strength and courage and passion that we don't normally wake up with each and every day. I was thinking of this during the past week as a friend of mine died on Monday. Tim Tinsley was a teammate of mine when I played football 40 years ago at Wheaton College. Tim was a Presbyterian pastor who was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer in 2019. Over the past several months, he began to write a blog that he called Lessons from a Dying Man. And they were powerful. And, and these blogs were just filled with grace as he was thinking about holding on to life and fighting for each day while realizing that in a very short time he would be stepping over that line and he would be in the presence of the Lord himself. And rather than causing him fear, it filled him with this overwhelming sense of the love of God and of grace. And then I found an audio of his most recent sermon before he died. The title of it was, Be Strong in the Lord. Tim knew he was dying, and he was watching this powerful cancer attack and weaken his body. But he spoke with this tenderness about the strength of God, the strength that God was giving him to work through the tremendous physical challenges that he faced each day. And he spoke of the joy of dwelling with Jesus by faith as physical activity waned, but his sense of doing each day, spending each day, reveling in each day, literally held up by the power of Jesus and by the love of Jesus. And then I was drawn again to this story of Desmond Doss. If you happen to see the movie Hacksaw Ridge, you will understand the difficulty that Doss faced. It's a, it's a brutal wartime movie. Alone, the only medic who stayed behind to tend to wounded men and to try and rescue them. He kept praying the same prayer each and every time that he rescued another man. Lord, help me save one more. And he would find the strength to go back into the battle. And this very thin, non-athletic man then rescued at least 75 men, carrying each one through the battlefield with Japanese soldiers shooting at them and then lowering them down this cliff by a rope, exhausting him. At the end, the rope had just cut grooves into his bloody hands that he had bound up with rags. This is also part of the true story. 
A day after that battle, what was left of the 77th Infantry was ordered to climb that hill again and to take that hill, and so they climbed. But they refused to go up again unless Private Doss, the man that they had once ridiculed for being a conscientious objector, unless he went with them. The problem was, this was a Saturday, and Doss was a Seventh-day Adventist Christian where they saw Saturday as their Sabbath. And though wounded, Doss agreed that he would go with them, but not until he had spent time worshiping God and praying. And so the whole division of men quietly stood and watched as Private Doss read Scripture and prayed. And then he finally turned around and he joined them, but they would not go up the hill without him. The, beautif- the movie beautifully includes that scene, and for me it made the entire thing worth watching. This passion of knowing the deep, deep love of Jesus drove Paul to his knees. Living with that passion fills you and me and people like us with strength that we would hardly ever imagine that we could contain. Here's the third observation. That passion rises from knowing the love of Christ. In the middle of verse 17 and in through verse 18, we read Paul's words. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is what motivated the Apostle Paul more than anything else. He longed for other Christians to experience deeper and deeper levels of the love of Christ. Look at the dimensions that he describes. How wide and long, how high and deep You get the sense that he wants us to know that Jesus' love is unfathomable. In other words, you can't reach its bottom. It is so deep that you and I can never fully measure it. We can never fully calculate it. This love is the passion that took Jesus to the cross. This is what took him through the betrayals, the scourging, carrying the cross through the streets of Jerusalem, climbing that hill to Golgotha, and to allow himself to be crucified. The love of Jesus is not some kind of, oh yeah, I love you too kind of love. The love of Jesus, once experienced, causes us to wonder how wide and long, how high and deep the love of Christ really is. Christ's passion for his people takes us beyond the what of Jesus to the why of Jesus. In her message about grit on January 10th, Pastor Christie cited a book by Rick Lawrence called Spiritual Grit. Lawrence notes that people who know about Jesus focus on the what of Jesus' life, what he did, what he said, and those things are all great. But it is knowing the the why of Jesus' life that leads to spiritual transformation. Jesus was motivated by this deep, wide, long, passionate love that comes from God. Rick Lawrence also cites a TED Talk by author and speaker Simon Sinek. Sinek's talk on the mechanics of passion has been viewed by more than 35 million people. Sinek explains, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. He goes on to explain, it's all grounded in the tenets of biology, not psychology, biology. The brain's neocortex is responsible for all of our rational and analytic thought and language. This is the what part of our brains, he says. Our limbic brain is responsible for all human behavior, all decision-making, and it has no capacity for language. This is the why part of our brains. He says, if you don't know why you do what you do, 
then how will you ever get someone to be loyal and want to be part of what it is that you do? Lawrence goes on to explain how uncovering Jesus' passion helps us better understand the heart of Jesus. And so he raises a a number of questions, and then he answers them. Why does the good shepherd leave the flock and search for the one lost sheep? The answer, the heart of Jesus is focused on individuals, not crowds. He sees you. Question, why does Jesus speak without a filter to the religious leaders and risk offending them? Answer, the heart of Jesus is disruptive, often upsetting the apple cart of others to get them to break out of their man-made traditions and to see God's truth. Question, why does Jesus often overlook people's sordid reputations to celebrate something he loves about them? The answer is the heart of Jesus is determined to morph ugly things into beautiful things. Why does Jesus forgive the soldiers who are executing him? The heart of Jesus defines love by how we treat our enemies. Why does Jesus talk so much about the bad things will happen to those who ignore the truth? The answer is that the heart of Jesus has a sharp edge. Why does Jesus delight so much in people who wholeheartedly trust him? Answer, the heart of Jesus values dependence, not control. Why is Jesus so impressed by over-the-top expressions of faith and love, like the woman who weeps on his feet and then dries his feet with her hair? The answer is that the heart of Jesus values extravagant expressions of genuine worship and love. And one more, why doesn't Jesus just tell people what he wants them to do instead of telling them stories that often don't make immediate sense? Answer, the heart of Jesus loves story and metaphor and parable, all that make us think and that heighten our sense of discovery. He doesn't want to cheat you out of the discovery. And so sometimes he encases truth in parables that force us to have to think and ponder and grow more deeply. And here's the last observation. Experiencing this love is greater than knowledge. Verse 19 says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul is saying here, it's not enough to know about Jesus' love. Paul wants us to to know his love experientially. Even more, Paul is telling us that the experience of Jesus' love surpasses knowledge that can be gained. This is why King David wrote in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is why Jesus says the greatest of all the commandments is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Great mystics of the past wrote about this. St. Clair of Assisi says, we become what we love, and who we love shapes what we become. I love that statement. We become what we love, and who we love shapes what we become. She went on to write, if we love things, we become a thing. If we love nothing, we become nothing. Imitation is not a literal mimicking of Christ. Rather, it means becoming the image of the beloved, an image disclosed through transformation. Why do we love Jesus? Why is it important that we experience the deep, deep love of Jesus? We become what we love, 
And who we love shapes what we become. So here's the big idea that I've been trying to get across. Experiencing the depths of Jesus' love generates in us the passion to live as resilient Christians in an age of chaos and change. I can say that a different way. The deep, deep love of Jesus ignites our resilience to live as Christians even in the midst of times of chaos and change. I wonder if you would pray this prayer with me before we celebrate communion together. Lord, give us the determination to seek and experience the deep love of Jesus. And let the depths of his love fill us with passion to live boldly on mission for you. Lord, fill us with this deep, deep, abounding, unfathomable love of Jesus. Amen. We're going to celebrate communion together. One of the discoveries of this time is that if you're at home watching this, hopefully you heard Pastor Christie's announcement earlier that we were going to celebrate communion and even if not, you can run out and grab something real quickly, a piece of bread, some juice, and we'll celebrate together. Here's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He was writing instructions for gatherings of Christians when they celebrate together. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the, cupper, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So go ahead and find that little plastic layer on the top and peel that back and you'll find a simple wafer there for those of you who are in the worship center with me. Do that and hold it for just a second. One of the things that we discover through these instructions from Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 is that this is a simple act with profound meaning. He doesn't tell us what kind of bread it has to be. And so there are people all over the world who will find some kind of bread that is native to them. And this simple wafer or cracker or piece of matzah or piece of bread reminds us of the broken body of Jesus and of his great love for us. Let's eat this in remembrance of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for coming in the flesh, for taking on real physical life and living among people just like us and providing an example for us of how to live by the power of God and by the love of God. We thank you. And then go ahead and peel off the, the second layer.
when we eat that bread and we drink this cup, we tie ourselves to the broken body and to the shed blood of Jesus. Our sins are forgiven through his sacrifice. As we put our faith in him and in the work that he did so long ago, he continues to free us and to give us that sense that we belong to him. Let's drink in remembrance of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for loving me and for loving us enough to die in an ugly, humble, and even shameful way. Thank you that your blood covers our sin once and for all time. We don't take that lightly. We realize that it was a costly, extravagant, sacrificial gift. But thank you that when we know that we rest in who you are, that we are set free to live fully in this life, not bound up by guilt, not held back fearing God, but rather understanding in a greater way the love that drove you to the cross. Thank you for pouring that out for us. In Jesus' name. Paul tells us one more thing in those simple instructions that when we eat and drink like this together, we declare that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Citizens who eagerly await his fellowship, who experience that fellowship now, but long for it even more, and who eagerly await the return of Jesus the King. And so this is not only a simple act, but it's a declaration of the kingdom and that he is our one true king and we follow him above all else. Thank you for celebrating with us today. I hope that this will allow us to go into the world refreshed and renewed, restored in the grace of Jesus. And so Father God, I pray that your blessing will fall on your people and that we will walk with you today and every day, renewed and refreshed and refocused on the deep, deep love of Jesus that makes us resilient, able to go through anything because this is the love of the one who stood in the fire and the one who goes through the waters with us and the one who grants us his spirit. Thank you for the love of Jesus in his name. Amen. And I'm glad that you're here today. I trust that you have a great day.